Before we begin, this podcast talks about mental health and well-being, so take care while listening. While we hope you enjoy listening to and learning from the podcast, the discussions we have are general in nature and do not take into account your own or your workplace-specific needs and circumstances. Therefore, it is not meant to take the place of specialist advice. We would like to acknowledge that we are recording this podcast on the land of the Gunai Kurnai people and pay our respects to their elders past, present and emerging. We would also like to acknowledge the demand for services currently being experienced by the sector and that this impacts everyone in different ways, including contributing to poor mental health and wellbeing outcomes. So we encourage you to be compassionate both to yourself and others. So hello, welcome to Workplace Wellbeing Natters podcast, the podcast that talks about wellbeing that works for the health and community services sector. Join us on this episode as we talk with Tara Cantwell about the importance of interior design and how it can facilitate workplace wellbeing. Tara will also give us some practical tips and strategies to take away that are low cost, don't take a lot of energy or time and can make a difference to your workplace. Tara is the Melbourne-based founder and principal interior designer at Cantwell Interiors. She is passionate about the health and well-being effects of design in our workplaces and our homes. And Tara's passion for well-being started during her 20-year career working in healthcare, aged care, disability services, local council, and grassroots community organizations. And I think I can say, Tara, that I've probably known you for most of that 20 years. So Tara now brings her past lens of leadership and person-centered thinking to her wellbeing-focused approach to design and decor. So Tara, welcome to Workplace Wellbeing Natters. Thank you, Linda. It's so good to be here. Oh, it's a delight to have you on board. And I'm really curious and keen to hear more about the relationship between interior design and well-being, particularly in the workplace. So um, probably first up, what is interior design? Interior design, if we want a clear definition, it's really about the art or the process of designing an interior decoration of a, a room or a building. So it can encompass you know, actual building elements, where the certain rooms go. It can encompass how many rooms, where the doorway is, uh, what furniture we have. But effectively, it's creating a space that we feel comfortable, we feel safe. Um, and so when we're looking at it from an interior perspective, we're thinking about it from our homes or our residential space to our workplace as well. When it does come to the workplace, and if we look, think about well-being within a workplace context, what is the relationship between interior design and well-being in our workplaces? Well, it's funny. We don't often think well, I don't often think about interior design and workplaces and how it can influence me from a wellbeing perspective because I tend to think about rich corporates and their gorgeous architecture and, and planned interiors that may cost an absolute fortune. I don't think about it for our, our health and our community services spaces and maybe because, you know, many of the buildings that I've worked in have been pretty old and crappy. Um, but, you know, when I think about 
what these principles of design might encompass, and it's about our choice and control, there are a whole lot of things that we can do to influence our space um, on a small scale. So not necessarily about um, architecture changes in that big corporate rich building. And so it sounds like no matter who you are or what your position in a workplace is, there might be some small changes that you can enact to make a difference to the way you feel within the environment that you work in. Yeah, absolutely. And that's what I want to share with with everybody today is that it's not about those big things, is that we need to be able to engage in the space that we've already been given and and some tips to think about that. Now, to give us an idea about the influence that our space might have on our well-being, I remember a time when I got a job that in my mind was a, a big deal. I, I was really chuffed about it, but I was equally thrilled about the view from my desk. And, you know, that shouldn't have come into it. You know, I've, I've got this great job. It's an increase in pay. I'm around really great people. But I was thinking about this view. And one night I was working late and I looked out this window and I had this gorgeous view, this purple sort of light uh, out the window, this beautiful scenery, lovely buildings and lovely nature. And I took a photo and I've still got that photo on my phone. And still to this day, four or five years later, when I look at that photo of that view, I feel happy, I feel successful, I feel calm, I feel motivated, I feel proud. And how powerful. I don't think about the job and and what I did and the outcomes and the KPIs. I think about those feelings when I look at the the views. So it's it's interesting that a view out a window could elicit these positive uh, emotions quite separate to the job itself. I think that's a really good point. And we know positive emotions can cascade in that when we experience positive emotions, not only are they helpful for us in the moment, but they also help us to build a reservoir of resilience for when, you know, we might come across some tough times. And it also provides us with the ability to go back and savor, to reminisce. And it sounds like that photo is a real prompt for you around reminiscing and taking you back to those, you know, positive emotions that you experienced when you looked out the window and and took the photo. Yeah, absolutely, Linda. And it's it's interesting that savoring these moments, um, often they come from positive elements that we've had in and around nature. And I'll talk a little bit about that in a bit, but it's it's interesting just how much time that we spend inside, but how nature, you know, the moments that we've spent outside are often the the things that influence us to our positive sense of, of well-being. All right, Linda, yeah, I want to I want to give you a question, a bit of a, a quiz here around that time that we spend indoors. What would your guess be that if you had to tell us on average how much time as a percentage we spend indoors? And I'll give you a clue. It's over 50%. My initial guess would be 80%. I think somewhere between 80 and 90% generally. Yeah, you're doing, you're doing very well. So it's 90%. And this, the study that it was originally referenced was back in 2001 um, in the US, but they've recreated the study around in different countries and it still maintains at about 90% of our time indoors, which is they've broken it down to be mostly sleeping or working. And so we're not necessarily focusing on the sleeping element of it today. We're focusing on the working element. So that's an extraordinary amount of time that we're spending indoors. And one of the articles that I read spoke about um, by the time we hit 40, most of us have spent 
36 years indoors. Wow. That puts it into perspective, doesn't it? Every time I think about that statistic, I want to jump up and immediately dash outside to reduce that, that percentage a little bit. And so for those of you who are not at 40, you can uh, you can calculate it yourself by multiplying your age by 0.9, and that's your indoor age. So, if we live till we're 80, most of us will have spent 72 years inside. So, what an extraordinary amount of time to spend in a space, and we don't often, you know, if it's a workspace, we don't get to include the paint on the wall or the or the carpets that's chosen or the or the pictures. So, I just think, wouldn't it be great if we could um, manipulate that space for ourselves? So it's a force of good for us. Absolutely. So, why does it matter? Like what? And you've given us the great example of you know the the scene outside the window, but. If we think about kind of interior design and the link between kind of well-being and workplaces, you know, why does it matter? Why does interior design matter? You know, the way that our space works can have such a strong impact on so many things that can impact our engagement in work. It can inspire innovation. Um, there's studies that suggest that it drives productivity. I mean, the right office design can make the most of your memory. It can boost your mood. Uh, the right colours can energise you, motivate you, or make you fall, <laughs> make you fall asleep. Um, <laughs> and when you think about how carefully a popular fast food chain craft their space to make our customers buy more. You know, they're working on a, a new restaurant design at the moment and it's expected to drive their sales, increase their sales by 7%. So if we think about the amount of burnout that Australians are experiencing, I think it was about 60% burnout at the moment. And it's the greatest level of burnout in the study compared to other, sub, uh, other countries, sorry. So Australians are pretty wild in their sense of burnout. And so if we can somehow influence this for the better, if we can find something uh, perhaps nice and simple that we can do to assist our well-being, then wouldn't it be great if our interiors could do some of the heavy lifting for us? What are some practical tips then? So you teased us a little bit earlier on. You said that there would be some <laughs> practical things that we could do. Yeah, that are low cost and, you know, hopefully that don't take a lot of, you know, time or other resources. So what can people do to improve their interior environment in the workplace? Yeah, absolutely. Well, what I want to do is give you a, a theory that's really popular um, and that can really easily maximize and quickly maximize our sense of well-being. And this is a theory called biophilia. So according to this um, biologist, Edward Wilson, he suggests that we have an innate and genetically determined affinity with our natural world and that we innately seek connections with nature and other forms of life. And he, he talks about that being something that is as vital to us as breathing or as, as eating or as good sleep. And it's not just a nice to have. So when we think about this biophilia, for me, I think about how important that was in lockdown. And I think about the things that improved our well-being in that time. And a lot of it was around outdoor stuff. I'm not talking about the things that um, gave us comfort, like perhaps uh, too much food or, or Netflix, but what improved our well-being. And that was around walking outdoors. Maybe that was about me getting away from everybody in my home, but <laughs> walking outdoors was very useful. And I got to develop a serious indoor plant uh, addiction. Uh, I have to have a shout out to Joy, who showed me how to turn my avocado pips into avocado plants. And, um, you know, I have to tell you how lovely it was to start a meeting with her talking about the well-being of our avocado pips or the success of our avocados rather than talking about our, our KPIs. So 
this sense of nature has a really strong element and perhaps it's a, well, not perhaps, um, research shows that it's a lot about bringing as much nature as you can into the workplace. So if we're thinking about direct nature, we're talking about nature that we can see and touch. You know, it's about going for a walk at lunchtime if you can or whenever you can. Maybe it's the walk to work or the walk home from work. Um you know, direct hits of nature might be the plants, um, the view of the plants, timber floorboards with knots that you can see, photographs of nature, um, even a, a pure wool gloves perhaps that I've got that sm- still smell like the lanolin <laughs> of a sheep. We've got indirect things that we can do that remind us of nature, like colours, you know, like blue might remind us of a lovely blue sky or yellow, a sunny day and sunflowers and that lovely time that we had at the beach patterns remind us of nature so maybe abstract paintings of grasslands and that's called fractal patterns that we look out for I've got to be careful when I say that Um, and texture as well natural texture now let me give you some direct things to be thinking about 10 easy things you can do right now Linda anyone can do right now some practical tips so one is, you know, if we're thinking about biophilia, we're thinking about getting as much natural light as we possibly can. Um, and we know that natural light is really good for our circadian rhythm. You know, it's really, if we get as much natural light as we can during the day, then we're going to sleep a lot better at night. And if we sleep better, we've got better mood. Uh, we've got better performance. We've got um, increased happiness. So as much natural light as you can, and that might be going out for walks and as you know, Tara, one of my passions is nature-based interventions. So for me, specifically green walking. So walking anywhere in a green space, I absolutely love. And the research around that is just amazing in terms of reductions in stress and boosts in mood and also the sense of cognitive restoration. So if you're feeling overwhelmed, um, getting out in nature, we know often restores our cognitive abilities. So I totally agree with what you're saying. And there's some statistics around that for inside the workplace as well, Linda. So they reckon that um, a view about nature, a view of nature can improve your work performance by up to 25%. You know, so if you're struggling to get a a work report done or, you know, you're just feeling a bit down, you've had your, your coffee fix for the day, then a view of nature, walking over to that window, looking out at your view or the park or or popping outside for a little bit can improve your work performance by up to 25%. And I think there's also some research around, even if you don't have a direct view, having, as you said before, you know, photographs or images or even watching nature-based videos. And there's some amazing nature-based videos that are available from, you know, Louis Schwartzberg and others playing those during breaks at meetings, for instance. So people have the ability to restore themselves cognitively as well, or even going on breaks. You know, a lot of people grab their phone when they go on a break and they're checking whatever they're checking, whether it's, you know, Facebook or playing Candy Crush or, you know, whatever's happening. And I sometimes think even just having like a nature-based background or video on your phone would be, again, just another really simple thing that people could do that wouldn't even really take a lot of time. Yeah, absolutely. And and the sounds of nature as well. So it doesn't have to be a, a video. You can also have the sound of nature that can influence your sense of well-being as well. So perhaps to, to block out the acoustic issues um, in a big 
workplace, you might have um, your headphones on to show people that you're working hard and you're busy, but, you know, behind the scenes, you might be listening to some lovely um, nature-based sounds as well that can have an influence, especially if you can't open the window in your high-rise office and and have a listen out or you're in in, um, in a hospital setting or something like that, then you might be creating that or bringing that sound to yourself rather than anything else. And um, in terms of, you know, if you like plants, having plants inside Linda is an extraordinary thing. That's another um, area that you can do, anyone can do, is is just bring more plants inside. So that the statistics around plants are extraordinary as well. So if you can see plants inside your workplace, that's a, a 10% increase in task performance. So you add that to your view of nature and you've already bumped up your performance by, you know, 35% now. Apparently, um, there's a 65% increase in reported positive health outcomes if you if you can see plants um, inside you can improve your energy by 76 percent that's pretty wild again you're complementing your coffee intake with a, a plant view and you're already um, <laughs> flying high and a 78 percent increase in reported happiness so when we're thinking about well-being then that's an absolute incredible bonus so on that sense my advice would be to get as many indoor plants as is lawfully or structurally allowed Linda and I've had the opportunity to read a lot of policy in my time and never once have I seen a policy about the limits to indoor plants so I think you should you should go wild <laughs> I haven't seen any either number five was we've talked about sound you know so hearing nature I haven't a number six around smell you know one of the easiest things that you can do is is do something so that you can you can smell nature and you know, that might be bringing in a sprig of rosemary and having it on your desk or, or a lavender or something like that. You can have natural fabrics. So again, linking to the biophilia element, uh, natural fabrics will will help remind you around nature and, and create that link for you. So that might be... It might be something timber, you know, you might be able to bring some driftwood in from a, a really gorgeous beach holiday that you had, or my mum collects some um, shells and they're all over her house. And every, you know, while I think it's a sense of clutter, she sees every shell as a, as a gorgeous memory from a different beach that she's been to, or it might be stone or ceramics, you know, perhaps that, that mug that you can, you can bring to your desk has a, a really tactile feel that reminds you of stone and, and nature. Colours are really important. I know you've probably done some work around colours in your time, but certainly around the nature element, um, people say that if we use colours in a similar way to nature, then we get the, the positive benefits of nature. So soft blues might remind us of the ocean and soft skies. We've talked, you know, yellows said might be sunshine and sunflowers, which are warming and welcoming. And if we need, rather than warm and welcoming, we need a real pop of something, then we might have something red, which, you know, promises uh, energy and enthusiasm and, and perhaps even nutrition um, in the in the nature world. Reducing clutter is really important. Um, there's a lot of there's a lot of studies out there, and, and you might have seen those too. Around having a a clear desk or a clear space reduces our decision making that we have to make. It frees our mind up. And the last one that I think about is is if you have a choice about which way your desk or computer faces, then be thinking about the position that you have. So there's a really interesting theory as well, a prospect and refuge theory, which has come from another outdoors fellow. He's a geographer, Jay Appleton, which which talks about us feeling safer and calmer if we have places to hide, a clear escape and a clear view. Now, obviously in the workplace, having a clear escape is an health and safety element, but we think about it from a, a psychological safety point of view. And I, I think about it as you know, if a place to hide is not necessarily your place to hide, but your ability to hide what you're working on so that you don't feel like 
everything that you have is is on view to everyone. So if your computer screen faces a walkway, then you might not feel particularly psychologically safe having a tricky workmate walk up behind you and surprise you seeing what you Googled at lunchtime. So thinking about whether you can feel safe and secure with your, your document and the way that your computer is facing uh, can be important too. I think that's really important. And even for me personally, it's also about is there the potential for people to kind of come up behind me and surprise me, which, you know, can sometimes make me feel a little unsettled in certain places as well. So yeah, all of those elements too, I think, come into it. Yeah, definitely. Especially when there's a a position of power or a differential element of power in your workplace that perhaps you're at a lower level of that power rung than you would like, then then that prospect refuge theory will be really important to where you're sitting and, and how you're viewed in that workplace, that you feel like you can hide you know, what you're working on and only share it when it's a time that's right for you and have a clear view of that tricky workmate that's coming up to you to chat or to see what you're doing. Well, they are some great suggestions, Tara, and suggestions I think that are easy to implement for many people within workplaces. There's a couple of words that seem to be quite topical at the moment. So one is the hybrid workplace which, of course, not all health and community services organisations can operate within. And the other is hot desking. So hot desking actually seems to be a bit of a hot topic at the moment, if you can pardon the pun. Yeah, absolutely. Look, you know, in hybrid work, if you're working from home, then you have that ability to influence your space around you. You know, some of the things that we talked about, you can influence the the colours around you, you can influence the textures, the views, you can open the door and get fresh air as much as you like. You can cook what you like. And, you know, even the chair that I've I've chosen to sit on is um, velvet, which is not a natural material, but it feels like I'm sitting on soft moss and I love it every day and it makes me feel really happy. So, you know, when you're working from home, you have a lot more influence around this sort of stuff. And in hot desking is almost the opposite. You have no influence and you're sharing your desk with somebody else or many other people. So you can't bring, you know, those holiday mementos of that sense of self. It's really tricky. But I have heard in some places implementing the hot desk element that they have hot desks in groups. So like a HR hot desking area or an IT hot desking area. And you might be able to make the case for team-based improvements there. So, you know, if you could talk with your team about that, then, you know, obviously I'd recommend as many plants as possible sitting on filing cabinets or on on the edge of your your desk, pictures on walls about nature. And, you know, if you can influence an unencumbered view of the window, computer screens facing a certain way, you know, that sort of stuff. So if you can influence it as a group, then that could be a conversation that you have. Now, if you can't influence what's around you and you absolutely are jumping onto a, a strange and random desk every day, it could just be as simple as keeping your clutter as low as you can, maybe choosing a mug with the colour and shape and the feel that either invigorates you if that's what you need or uh, calms you if, if that's what you need as well. I mean, I had a quite a large grey-blue mug and it didn't have a handle. It was one of those cosy ones that you had to hold with both hands. And the overall experience of drinking out of that was a really mindful one because, you know, I had to – the heat of it was quite um, strong. It wasn't um, – super burning, but it was quite strong on my hands. So I really had to stop and relax and enjoy that mug of whatever I wanted at that time. So that had a really big influence on my well-being when I took the mug. Oh, that's great. And people, I guess, can still potentially set a screensaver, although it might be a little more tricky if they're on a different computer. 
I'm just wondering if people could take like a little tray or a little box just to have a couple of mementos that might sit in a locker overnight in the workplace if there is uh, an available locker, just so they can carry those little meaningful things that we look at and that bring us joy just from kind of one desk to another. I'm looking around my desk now as we're talking and and I'm seeing just, you know, a few little knickknacks I've got that whenever I look at them, they just either bring me comfort or a sense of inspiration or a sense of joy. So I'm wondering if people could perhaps take some of those things from desk to desk with them. Yeah, absolutely. Because a lot of workplaces will have a little locker, a little lock-up locker that you can have. You absolutely have some of those mementos in there. And the more those mementos connect with nature, then the heightened sense of well-being that we have in that space. And we can still always have that very deliberate opportunity to go outside at lunchtime and see nature or to walk over to that window and and take a a look outside. So we can still be quite deliberate about the spaces that we've been given or gifted. There are a few organisations that are really starting to take this seriously now. It's not just about us as individuals um, trying to bring as many plants as we can under each arm into the office. It's growing in momentum that organisations are starting to understand that their employee retention might improve, that sick leave might improve. They start to focus on the health and well-being of the design in their office. And if it's a space that we feel calm, we feel well, we feel motivated, and proud, then people might just be more inclined to come back into the office, might be more inclined to come back in uh, and work for certain organisations if people take that seriously. You've raised a really interesting point because we often talk about when it comes to workplace wellbeing that it's a shared responsibility. Everyone has a part to play in creating a culture that is supportive. So it's not just the organisation's responsibility. Neither is the responsibility for employee well-being on the individuals either, but it's really a kind of collaborative, co-created phenomenon that involves everyone in the workplace. Yeah, definitely. And I think the effect of it is heightened if the organisation is on board as well and it flows all the way through. So Tara, thank you so much for your insights that you've shared with us today and your very practical tips and strategies. If people, organisations would like to find out more, how can they contact you or where can they go to find out a little bit more about the relationship between interior design and wellbeing in the workplace? Uh, so you can find me on Instagram at Cantwell Interiors for uh, little bits of, of top tips and hints uh, and to see the, the design styles that I have um, or on LinkedIn as Tara Cantwell. Uh, and if your team wants to to know a little bit more if you'd like if you'd like your leader to know a little bit more then let me know and I can come along and have a chat to your team and your leader about the sorts of things that you can do to influence well-being as a team Tara it has been such a privilege and so enjoyable to catch up with you today thank you so much for being a guest on workplace well-being matters thank you Linda thanks for your time as usual we've packed a lot into this episode so let's do a quick recap of our natterings. Tara spoke with us about a number of theories or concepts that relate to interior design and our well-being. She also gave us some really practical strategies to implement within our workspaces and workplaces. So whether you're working from home or back in the office, 
we have some practical tips to improve our well-being at work. We've so loved connecting with you and sharing insights into interior design and workplace well-being today. We want to know what you think and have been inspired by, any questions you would like answered or contributions you'd like to make to the podcast. So leave a review or contact us via matters at workplacewellbeingnatters.com.au if you would like to explore how we can help you on your journey, submit a case study or comment for us to include in our podcasts. We look forward to next time. Thanks for joining us and bye for now.